Well, uh, welcome to Big Valley, especially if this is your first time, and all of you that are watching online, we're grateful that you are with us. Take your Bibles and turn to Job chapter uh, 39. Okay, Job chapter 39. And while you're doing that, uh, I want to let you know about something that's coming up uh, at Big Valley Grace, okay? One of our local partners is sitting right down here. That's Wilson Capullo. We appreciate him. Would you do that now? Here's the deal. Um, this church has supported Wilson for a long, long time. And this guy's on the front lines uh, making a difference, really, in an area that most of us know nothing about. And that's with Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims in our community. And he has a class that's coming up uh, here on Sunday, November uh, the 10th, in the fireside room from 8.30 to 10.15. He's going to be right outside these doors when we're done. But it's a class that really all of you need to be a part of, where you can go, and he's just going to give you some great information about Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims. Probably all of us may have neighbors. I know I do. And it's probably a good thing just to know a little bit about them. Who are these folks that you live by? And, 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 and so make sure you get out there, get this card, go online and get signed up. It'd be a class, I guarantee you. you you'll learn a lot. It'll be super interesting uh, for, for everybody. And, um, and also make sure you just get out there just to say hi to, um, to Wilson. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I wanna make sure that we're all on the same page. We've been in this series where we're going through the book of Job together. And next uh, weekend, uh, Lord willing, will be the last weekend in the series. And so I'm going to do something tonight that I'm also going to do next weekend. I'm going to walk through the, the book of Job with you. I want to make sure you understand it. If, if, if Big Valley Grace is your home, you run into anybody who goes to Big Valley Grace, you ought to be able to grab them and say, hey, tell me about the book of Job. Because we've done the best we can to kind of unpack this incredible book with you. And the first thing that we learned uh, you know, a few months ago, was that Job was a, a, a very wealthy man. In fact, he was probably the wealthiest man, you know, on the planet at the time. He would have been the Bill Gates of his day. But not only was he wealthy, but we also learn in Job chapter one that he was a very godly man. He was faithful to the Lord. In a modern day sense, if I could, you know, bring him into the 21st century, he would have been a member of a church. He would have belonged to a church. He would have uh, served in the church somewhere. Uh, maybe he would have mentored teenagers, or maybe he would have held babies. Maybe he would have played in the worship band or something like that. He would have been very active in the church. When that little green basket went by you a little bit ago, he would have been faithful to put his offering in there. He was a very, very godly man. We also learned that God and, and Satan had a discussion, or really it was a debate, about why Job loved God and worshiped God. We, we learn about this in Job chapters one and two. And, and you have to understand this debate if you're gonna understand the story of Job at all. All of a sudden, Job, uh, God's having a staff meeting, if you will, he's got all of his angels with him, and Satan shows up, and basically Satan says, hey, look, there's a reason why Job serves you. There's a reason why he's a member of your church, God. There's a reason why he mentors teenagers. There's a reason why he sings in the band. There's a reason why he writes a check and, and, and puts it in the offering every week. And that's because you've built a hedge around his life. You, you won't let anything bad happen to the guy. And Satan says, hey, hey, God, let me, I tell you what, you, you, you kind of goof with his life and he'll, he'll curse you to your face. And God, for whatever reason, in his sovereignty, tells Satan, go ahead. And um, Job never knows about this conversation. Job's wife will never know about this conversation. None of Job's friends will ever know about this conversation. God never tells Job about this conversation. Okay? The third thing we learned was that God allowed Satan to inflict Job with a bunch of 
you know, crummy things, a lot of pain and, and suffering. Literally in one day, God allowed Satan to take all of his wealth, uh, kill all of his camels, and took all of his oxen, and it was just a, a really horrible, you know, horrible day. And to make it worse, God allowed Satan to take all of Job's t children. He had 10 kids, and all 10 of them were taken. They were all they were all killed. And then to make things even worse, God allows Satan to inflict Job with all of these sores and you know, boils. And, and so he's just in this really crummy place when you get to the end of Job chapter two. He literally has lost everything. He literally has lost his, all of his kids. He's lost a whole lot of his employees have, have died. And now he's sitting on the outskirts of town with all these sores and boils all over his body, inside of his mouth, and he's got a piece of uh, broken pottery, and he's scraping, you know, the pus and all the stuff off of his body. It's really a, a pathetic uh, scene. Then we learned that through all of the pain and suffering that Satan inflicted on Job, Job honored the Lord. He never cursed God. Here he is sitting on the outskirts of town. He, he, he's lost everything. He's lost all of his money. He lost all the money in his checking account, his 401k, his 403b. You know, all of his IRAs are gone. He's got nothing. All of his kids are dead. A bunch of his friends who were his employees are dead. He's got sores all over his body. He can't eat. He, he can't get around. And, and he still is worshiping the Lord. Incredible. Now, he, he's, he's got some questions for God. There's still some things rattling around in his mind, but he never rejects God. Never. N number five, we, we learn that in the midst of Job's pain and suffering, his, his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, were really crummy to Job. So his three friends, you know, they didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have, you know, Twitter back then. They didn't have phones back then. But at some moment, his three friends... Here, that Job has lost his fortune, he's lost his family, he's lost his health, and these three guys show up. But when they showed up, they, they, they weren't a blessing. They basically just said some really crummy things to Job. Basically what they said was, Job, let me tell you why a guy ends up losing all of his wealth, why a guy ends up, you know, with his kids all dead and with sores all over the body. There's only one reason, and that is you got some sin in your life. That's the only way something crummy like this happens to anybody. You have, you've done something, Job. I, I, we may not know what it is, but you've done something, pal. And you need to repent of your sin. Remember, they don't know about the conversation in Job 1 and 2 that God and Satan have. They, they don't know. From their limited, you know, information from their vantage point, the only thing they can come up with, man, Job, you're, you're, you're in a cruddy situation, man. Woo, man, there's only one way you end up like that, pal. You just need to repent of your sin. And of course, we know it had nothing to do with sin. We know that because we're reading the story. We get to read it. These three guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they didn't know. But they're just making him feel even worse. Here's, here's Job. He's got nothing. He's got no money. He's got no dough. He's got no income. He, he's, his kids are dead. He, he's, he's got sores all over his body. And here are these three guys saying, hey, man, it's all because of you and your sin. And he's going, no, guys, it, it ain't. I, I haven't sinned. No, he wasn't perfect. But there wasn't anything in his life that was unconfessed. And he's starting to get, um, he's starting to get 
really bummed about it. In fact, the sixth thing we learned was that Job was, was depressed and he was in a dark, dark place. And he begins to, to blame God. God, what's going on? Hey, I lost everything I got. I got nothing. My family's gone. Look at all these sores. And now he's skin and bones because he hasn't been able to eat. He hasn't really been able to take in any liquids. He, he, he stinks. His breast stinks. The Bible says his wife doesn't even want to be around him anymore. You know, children that used to see him walking down the streets used to run up to him and he'd probably put his arm around him, you know, give him a piece of candy. Hey, everybody loved Job. Now the kids won't even get near him. No one will even come near this guy. He just sits on the outskirts of town and he's, he's got all these sores and he just stinks, man. Hey, God, now I got these guys thinking it's sin. Maybe the whole town thinks I'm somehow goofed up in sin. Hey, God, I haven't done anything. Can, can you step up? Can you do something? He's just in a really, really, really dark place. Then last week, we learned about another friend of Job's named Elihu. We, we, he just all of a sudden shows up. The other three guys are there from the very beginning, but Elihu had to have been there. He's just, we know, the youngest of all the friends, and so he just sits back for 32 chapters, and you don't even know he's there. And then all of a sudden, you know, he can't stand it anymore. He's heard Job's three friends hammer Job about his sin, and now he's hearing Job complain to God, and he can't stand it anymore, and he boldly is now going to speak up for God. And he begins to, you know, share some, you know, some, some, some things. I wrote this down. I don't know if it ended up in your notes, but Ilya was trying to get Job to see God in the midst of all of his pain and, and suffering the suffering he was experiencing, and to actually worship God in the midst of all of his pain and suffering instead of griping and complaining about God and blaming God for all of it. If I had to boil down what Elihu was trying to say, that, that, that's it. Yeah, you lost all your dough. Yeah, you lost all your kids. Yeah, you got all these sores all over you. Yeah, this is a bad deal, but here's the deal. I, I want you to see God in the midst of it all. And not only do I want you to see God in the midst of it all, I want you to actually worship him. Because that's far better than being all ticked off and depressed and pointing your bony finger at God and blaming him. That's not gonna do you any good. Okay, and that's basically, I think, what we learned last week. In fact, look, look at uh, chapter 36 real, real quick. Uh, and look at verse uh, 22, okay? This is Elihu talking. He says to Job, hey Job, look, God is all powerful. Who is a teacher like him? No one can tell him what to do or, or say to him, you know, you have done wrong. Instead, just glorify his mighty work, singing songs to his praise. That I think kind of sums up, if you will, what Elihu was trying to say to Job, okay? Elihu was reminding Job that God didn't have to defend himself to anybody. God didn't have to answer to, you know, anybody. He doesn't have to answer anybody's questions. Now, this brings us to our message today, okay? That kind of gets everybody caught up, okay? God finally speaks to Job, okay? This is... What we're going to read is the first time that God's finally going to speak. 38 chapters have gone by. God hadn't said a word to Job. Okay? Now Job's had a lot of things to say, but God hadn't said a word for 38 chapters. Look at verse 1 of chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that 
questions my wisdom with such ignorant words. Brace yourself like a man. In other words, hey Job, buckle your seatbelts. Because I have some questions for you. you. You've been asking me questions. You've had a lot to say, Job. And I've sat around for 38 chapters listening to you. Brace yourself like a man. Get ready. Because I got some things. I got some questions now I've got of you. Literally, God has said nothing. And now, instead of simply answering Job's questions, God is going to ask Job a number of questions. He's never going to answer Job's questions. Never. But he is going to ask Job a whole bunch of questions, and it's through these questions that God is going to grab a hold of Job by the lapels, and I hope that might happen to you. I know it's happened to me as I have read through these questions. I've tried to, you know, think, man, what if God was asking me these questions? I'm not going to ask them all. I'm not going to read them all to you, but we're going to go through a number of them. I want you to, I want you to feel, if you will, what Job was feeling. Remember, remember, he's got boils all over him. He's been questioning God. And now God's going to talk, okay? And God starts by saying, hey, hey, brace yourself. If, if I start a conversation like that with my son, he knows it's downhill. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Do you know what I'm saying? God's saying, hey, hey, you're going to have to be a man here. Brace yourself. Buckle your seatbelts. Look at verse four. Right out of the gate. He doesn't start with anything easy. Hey, Job, I just want to ask you, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And that's the first question right out of the gate. Tell me if you, if you know so much. You, you, you've been shooting your mouth off, Mr. Smart Guy. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What, what, what supports its foundations, Job? And who laid its cornerstone at the mor- uh, as the morning stars, uh, as, the, as the angels sang together and all the angels shouted for, 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 jo- for joy? <laughs> right out of the gate. Job, you're kind of insignificant. You're just... You're just insignificant, Job. You, you weren't there when I, when I hung the sun and I put the planets out. You, you, you weren't there. You don't have a clue how it all works. Not one clue. Look at verse 12. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? Ever done that, Job? In other words, God's saying, hey, you know that big red ball that comes up? That comes up only because I tell it to come up. And there's going to come a day when God will say, "I, I don't want you coming up anymore. Done. Look at verse 16. 
Have you explored, Job, the springs from which the sea comes? Have you explored their their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter doom? Do do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it, Job. Job, you know, I'm listening. Tell me about it, if if you know. I mean, we, we do have submarines now that can get down to what we think are the depths of the ocean, we think. Look at verse 25. Who, who created a channel for the torrents of rain, Job? Who laid out the path for lightning? Who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where, where, where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? God's telling us something about himself. We just take that for granted. Oh, it rained, it rained. Oh, yeah, it's raining. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then there's rivers that take all the water down to the, you know, the Pacific Ocean, you know. God's saying, man, no, no. I've created all that. It rains when I want it to rain. The water goes where I tell it to go. I'm in charge of all this. Look at verse 34. Hey, Job, can can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you do that? There was a while back when our county really needed rain, and we gathered together to pray for rain. Remember that? We prayed. Oh, God, man. Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who, Who gives intuition to the heart and instincts to the mind? Boy, there. That's deep, man. Who's wise enough to count all the clouds? Look at chapter 39. Do you know when the wild goat gives birth? (laughs) Just, uh, okay. Hey, these other things have been kind of hard. Hey, just, you know that wild goat? You ever seen it give birth? So, you know, the wild goat. And you know, Job's going, uh, well, these are easier but no, I, I've never, I, I, I tried to follow a goat once, but I couldn't, couldn't get there to see where that thing gave birth. <laughs> Have you watched as a deer are born in the wild? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of, of the, the, the time of their delivery? In other words, God's saying, I I know, I know where the wild goats are. I I, I know everything. I I know when deers give birth. I know. In the New Testament, we're told that he he knows when a sparrow, right, falls from the sky. Look at verse 19. Have you given the horse its strength or clothed its neck with a flowing mane? Did did you give the horse the ability to leap like a locust? Its majestic snorting is just terrifying. Look at verse 26. Is it your wisdom, Job, that makes the hawk soar and spreads its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to heights to make its nest? Look at chapter 40. Then the Lord (coughs) said to Job, "Do, do, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Are are, are you God's critic? But do you have the the, the answers, Job? This is really weighty. God is, is asking Job all these questions, which he knows Job can't answer, which is the point. God is helping Job understand through these questions that his wisdom is absolutely nothing compared to God's wisdom. He was helping Job understand that he was in absolute control of everything, which included all of Job's suffering. And that was all Job needed to know. 
Now when you get to verse three of chapter 40, Job finally speaks. Look at verse three. Then Job replied to the Lord, oh man, I'm, I'm nothing. How could I ever find the, the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Oh man, this is bad. This is bad news, man. I should have I, I never said anything. Job's starting to get it, but God's not done yet. That's all good, Job. Yeah, you put your hand over your mouth, pal. You do that, but I, I'm not done. I'm not done. Look at verse six. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind again. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some more questions for you, and you gotta answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove that you're right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Look at verse 15. And here's where everybody wants to get. Take a look at the behemoth, which I made. I made the behemoth, just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly? Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit together tightly. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. The mountains offer uh, it their, their best food where all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants hidden by the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade among the, the willows beside the stream. It is not disturbed by the raging river, not concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. And by the way, the behemoth here is the longest description that God gives of anything. But the question everybody always has, it's the shiny object in those texts, is what's the behemoth? What is it? Some scholars think it's a, di a dinosaur. Uh, if you were to look up, uh, you know, our, our, our Ken Ham, our, our friends, you know, he, he's going to tell you that's a dinosaur. Others say, well, no, it's a hippopotamus. It describes a hippopotamus. I mean, I watch all those, you know, nature shows. No one's ever going to put a, you know, a thing around a hippopotamus and walk it around. I mean, you don't mess with it. Nobody messes with it. Literally, nobody messes with the hippopotamus. Nobody. Thing's all surrounded by crocodiles. No, not, not a one of them's touching the thing. That thing comes up on the shore. I, I saw a lion once uh, jump on it. And it just kind of sat there for a second, like, huh, 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 there's something on my back. Huh, that's weird. And he kind of moved a little bit and kind of backed up, backed up into the water. And the next thing you know, the, the lion was, you know, and he got back out and started eating bushes again or whatever he was eating. He was like, oh, that, didn't even, that didn't even do anything to me. Here's the bottom line. Let me just tell you about behemoth. The word behemoth here is a generic term used commonly in the Old Testament for large cattle or a large land animal. We don't know what it is. It could be something that's already extinct. A lot of animals go extinct. We don't know exactly what it was. So I can't tell you exactly what the behemoth was. But the description tells you, whoa! This is one bad animal. This is, this is one animal you don't mess with. But Job, I want you to know, I made it. I can mess with it. You can't. But I can. Look at verse 41. 
Here's the other one. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a, a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or employ you for pity? Will it agree to work for you, to be your slave for life? You know, can you put a Leviathan together with a bunch of other Leviathans, you know, and, and you know, like, like oxen and disc your field? Verse five, can, can you make it a, a pet? I don't know, like a bird or, or give it to your little girls to play with? Will merchants try to buy it to, to sell in their shops? Hey, uh, I was just in Israel and you can walk down some of the shops and you know there are birds and they're selling this. And hey, you're gonna find a Leviathan sitting there? Somebody gonna go out and catch a Leviathan and, and sell it down at you know, PetSmart? Will, will its hide be hurt by spears or its head by a harpoon? If you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. In other words, you won't have a hand left. Just go, go mess with one, lay a hand on it, and, and then they'll call you Captain Hook after that. Because you won't have a hand. It'll be gone. You won't try it again. No, it is useless to try to capture it. The hunter who attempts it will be knocked down. And since no one dares to disturb it, then who can stand up to me, God says. Because I made the thing. Now once again, you know, what is it? Is Leviathan, is it a, is it a dinosaur? It could be, but we don't know. Some people think it was a crocodile or, or an alligator. Could have been. I watch, I, I'll tell you, I watch the shows, man. Now, today, in modern days, we got guns and we got things that can pierce that skin. But you look at a crocodile now, and it's just like, dude, man, those are weird. I mean, you're, you're ever, you know, if you see one, just run. That's what you do. Okay, unless you're the, unless you're a weirdo, just you see one, just get out of there. You're no match for it. I love what D. A. Carson said, and I had this written out for you because this is really weighty. What I'm going to read to you. Some of you aren't going to understand what I'm going to read, but I'm going to try to explain it. The great D. A. Carson said this about chapter 41. This is the climax of the Lord's speeches to Job. And Job does not miss the point. Here it is, here it is. Suffering is a crocodile. Suffering is a hippopotamus. Terrifying and mysterious, yet part of God's creation with its, and with its own splendor. Let me see if I can unpack that for you. Here's what D.A. Carson says. God just explains these two majestic creatures, terrifying creatures, terrifying. D.A. Carson says, he's, he believes, he's trying to explain to Job, Job, your suffering that you've been in is Leviathan. The suffering you've been going through is, is behemoth. Those are two terrifying things. Those are two things you can't control. Those are two things that are beyond your comprehension. But they're not beyond mine. I control behemoth. I control Leviathan. I control your suffering. See? As terrifying as those two animals are, as terrifying as your suffering is, I made behemoth, I made Leviathan, I allowed your suffering. And just like I can make a behemoth my pet, and I can make a Leviathan my pet, I can make your suffering my pet if I want to. I have that kind of power. 
Look, look at chapter 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. God doesn't say, hey, Job, let me, let me just tell you how this all worked out, okay? Long time ago, Satan came to a meeting I had, and he was basically throwing you under the bus, pal. He basically was saying, you know what? The only reason why, you know, you worship me is because I've built some hedge around your life, like, like somehow you're immune from the things of life. And so... I, I, I kind of, I, I allowed him to, to goof with you. Just wanted you to know. He didn't say, he never says that to him. It was none of Job's business. But what he does do is he just reminds Job of how great he is, how great God is, how awesome God is through all these questions. And there were others. I just didn't, I just didn't ask them all. And let me give you the, 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 the takeaways just real quick. Number one, Job had been proven wrong. God was listening to him. God never abandoned him or stopped loving him or stopped caring for, for him. When, when finally God speaks, it's obvious that, that, that Job was wrong. Hey, Job, I'm listening to you, pal. I've been listening to you the whole time for 38 chapters. So Job had been proven wrong. Number two, Satan had been proven wrong. Job never rejected God or walked away from God. Number three, Job's friends had been proven wrong. Remember, they all thought that Job had, had sinned. That somehow he, he had done something. Now, his sin was all of the his comments directed at God afterwards. But all of his buddies had been proven wrong. Number four, Job was still messed up. <laughs> okay? God doesn't, God doesn't go, hey, look, I'm going to answer the questions. And so you can listen a little better, Scott. I'm going to go ahead and heal you up. I'm going to get rid of all those sores and stuff. Because with all those sores, you probably can't hear me too good. Maybe you got sores in your ears. I want to make sure you, God doesn't do that. He's still sitting in an ash heap, scraping his sores with all of his, you know, with broken pottery. He's still messed up. He's still skinny. He's still hungry. He's still thirsty. He still stinks. God, God is not taking care of the suffering. Okay? So Job had been proven wrong. Satan had been proven wrong. Job's friends had been proven wrong. And Job still goofed up. Number five. Job still had no idea why he was suffering so greatly. Never once in any of those questions or when God speaks, does, does, does God let Job in on anything? As I said, he, he just simply reminds Job, Job, look, here's the deal, pal. You know, I actually hung the moon, you know? I, I named all the stars. I can count the clouds when they go by. C can you do that? No, you can't. In fact, you don't even know where goats are born. I do. And through this series of questions, he just reminds Job of a truth of how awesome he is. What makes us any different than Job? When you're going through something, God may never give you the reason why. 
But you have something that Job doesn't have, something that will remind you of just how great and awesome he is. You have this that you can always go back to and read and be reminded, you know what, I may not know why this is happening to me or to my family or to my spouse or to my kids or to my grandpa or to my grandson or why this is happening in my business or whatever it is. God may never give you the answer, but you do have this that can remind you of just how awesome he is. And maybe just going back and reading some of those questions will help give you the perspective that, that you that you that you need. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah. We've looked at it a number of times. He said, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. Okay, right out of the gate there. God's talking. He says, hey, hey, hey. The way I think and the way you think are two different things. He says, my ways are beyond your ways. They're beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, God says, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's something that, that we have to keep in mind. God, God doesn't have a mind like yours. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't reason like you. God is not obligated to come and say, hey, listen, man, I'm, I'm working on something here. I'd like to get your input, Wilson, you know, because, you know, you're a pretty smart guy, you know. Can you help me with this, Wilson? He didn't have to do that. He didn't, doesn't need any of us. And how or why he chooses to do what he does, why he chose to allow Satan to do what he did, you know what? It doesn't matter whether it makes sense to you or me. It doesn't make sense to me. I've walked with God a long time. I've read the Bible many, many times. I've read through the book, Story of Job, more times than I could count. It doesn't make sense to me. If I was God, I would have done it differently. But I'm not God. <laughs> but I do know this. Whoa. Whoa. He's awesome. He's awesome. Deuteronomy chapter 29, it's a familiar verse to us, says the Lord our God has secrets known only to, to him. Imagine that. Look, I'm a human being. I've got secrets that I don't tell you. You have secrets you don't tell me. You, you have secrets you don't even tell your parents. You got stuff you don't even tell your spouse. Imagine God having secrets from you. I just didn't make it. It didn't make any sense. I deserve to know it all. Can you at least let me know where the wild goats are being born? You know, at least I got that down. The other stuff I'll work on, you know. I don't know. I mean, he, he's got secrets. Now, one of the great things about science, and I love science, any believer, any follower of Jesus loves the sciences, because what scientists get to do is they get to go out and look at stuff and see and try to figure out all these great secrets that God has. See, the Bible says God's the one who just thought and put, all, put it all out there and the planet's doing all this stuff. Scientists go, well, there's not a God, so bang, there was a bang, and then it was all there. That's what they've come up with. Well, well, what happened when you got back to nothing? Well, I, I, uh, well, these two molecules bumped into you. Well, how did the two molecules? Well, there was, so you get back to, well, there was once nothing, and then, boom, there was something. It's all there. It was all there, Wilson. Well, how can you get something out of nothing? Well, we haven't figured that out yet. 
Well, I know how you get something out of nothing. God just says it. So I'm not afraid of the sciences. And I think as time goes on, some of these secrets that were known only maybe to God back when this was written, we, we know more about it. But it goes on, it says, God says, hey, you're not accountable for those. You're not accountable for the things that you don't know anything about. But we are, as his children, accountable forever for the things that he has revealed to us. That we're accountable to. And one of the things about Job, and we got a piece of information that Job never got, and that is we, we know about the conversation between God and Satan, so we know why all this was happening. Job never did until the day he died, and then he got to heaven. And I, 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 you know, I don't know if he walked up to God and said, hey, God, look, man, was there anything you didn't tell me? Remember when we had that conversation and you were talking and asking me all those questions, making me feel stupid? You know, was there anything else that I needed to know? Yeah, there was, Job. And, and I just want you to know, Satan was throwing you under the bus and it was just beautiful to watch you, you know, worship me. Oh, so you and Satan, yeah. Oh, and you allow, yeah. Oh, See, I, I don't think that conversation is going to happen. I just think he's going to be thrilled to be there. See, I, I, I don't think when I die, I'm going to show up in heaven, go find Jesus, and go, hey, listen, I just need to ask you, back in 69, Jesus, I had this bad week. Can, can you tell me what the problem was that week? I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to be so overwhelmed with glory that Whatever happened to you back in 69 or 72 or, you know, 75 or, or 89 or 92 or whatever the year was, whatever that year was, when you get to glory, you're not going to go, hey, look, so I can enjoy this thing a little bit more. Can you kind of just give me a little bit more data about why someone I loved had cancer? Not going to happen. But the last takeaway is this, and that is Job repents of his sin. He had spent a lot of time grieving over all that he had lost. <laughs> I lost all my wealth. <laughs> I lost all my kids. Oh, man, man, I lost all my health. <laughs> oh, man, I can't believe my friends are jacking me up. Everybody thinks I'm a sin. He spent a lot of time grieving over a lot of stuff. And now... He's grieving over his sin. A lot of scholars say that we've missed the boat on Job. We always think of Job as it's a book about patience, right? There are a lot of scholars out there that say, no, the book of Job is a book about repentance. That's what it's a book about. Because you get to the end of it and Job has to repent. This godly man, this very, very religious, godly man who loved Jesus deeply, here we find him almost at the very end and there he is, he's repenting. And certainly, you know, as you walk through that last little bit of Job, there were a number of things that as I was looking at those questions, going over those questions, that frankly, one big thing to be straight up with you, that God brought to my mind that like Job, I just needed to tell God how sorry I was for not handling it the way of in a better way, a way that honored him. And I just had to confess my sin. And what did it was just reading these questions about how awesome he is. And uh, maybe, maybe that's what might happen to some of you. That you walked in here tonight and you know what, man, things were pretty good and just as you walk through this and you begin to think about how great and awesome and mighty God is, you just went, wow. Maybe there's something you've been griping to God about recently. 
Maybe there's something that you've just said, hey, man, I don't know why you let this happen. Or maybe it's something you've been hanging on to for a long time. And this would be the great night to go, okay, okay. Like Job, I'm sorry. Who am I that I would question you? Who am I? Just put it over your mouth and just spend a moment with the Lord or maybe you want someone to pray with you or some of our pastors and elders will be in the altar room, okay? Why don't you all stand? Let, 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 me, let me just close our time here, okay? So don't forget, next week we're, we're gonna end this thing, okay? This has a great ending. Most of you know the ending. But there are some really neat things we'll, we'll kind of tease out here next weekend. Father, thank you, Lord, for this study on the life of Job. Wow, it's just been really rich. Lord, thank you that uh, you had those questions preserved for us. That thousands of years later, we could read those questions and they had the same impact on me as they had Job. I pray, Father, that maybe they might have the same impact on some of my friends that are in this room, maybe some people watching online. Maybe there's some thing that they've just held onto for a long time. They've been angry with you. They've been upset with you. They've had questions and they, they weren't asked in a reverent way. And maybe, maybe tonight is the night when, when many would just say, man, I'm sorry, God. I'm gonna trust you. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, if you want prayer, you can come into the altar room, all right? Blessings.